0: The formal mission of U equals me is stated as a movement of conscientious objectors to intolerance, or simply stated a movement against intolerance. And the exploration of that statement really gets to what, what are the similarities between people? What do we all have in common? Why are we really equal as humankind and that's what we're going to explore.
1: This podcast is about exploring conversational thoughts and interviews with extraordinary people living ordinary lives of well-being. Discussions on exactly what well-being means to people day-to-day, factors that can influence it both internally and externally. Weekly and insights on how to survive and thrive and feeling satisfied in life with a greater sense of purpose. Guest hosts bring fresh new outlooks and opinions from spirituality, science, worldviews, and standing up and speaking out for what's right. It's pretty interesting. Man needs each other and planet Earth to survive. Check it out. I think you'll like what you hear.
0: Hello and welcome to our You Goes Me podcast. Thank you for all for listening and joining us. My name is Bruce Jarvis, husband of the founder of U Equals Me Foundation, Cindy Jarvis, who is graciously allowing me in front of the mic today. I'm truly excited to be guest hosting today's podcast. The reason I'm psyched is I have the pleasure of chatting with a friend for over 50 years, my football teammate in the late 60s at the University of Washington, Harvey Blanks. Welcome, Harvey.
2: Thank you for having me. How you doing, Bruce?
0: I'm doing great. I'm doing great great. now. Harvey's the expert at this, folks. I'm just learning broadcasting.
2: Uh, You're 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 very kind. I'm not. I'm certainly. I'm far from being an expert here.
0: But, folks, you're going to hear how much of a lie that is. (laughs) We're going to be reviewing a great story that is still being written. You'll hear significant parts of a professional resume of such stature. That it no doubt makes family members, teachers, and professors, professional colleagues, and friends, old and new, proud just to have known and to be influenced by Harvey. As we move along, you'll see why. Here's a sneak peek. Harvey Blanks at 70 plus is one of a very select group of actors who's been selected and extolled for playing every one of revered playwrights August Wilson's 10 productions. This podcast is about life. We'll talk about human foundations, struggles, triumphs, and the unique wisdom shaped by Harvey's life well-lived. You Equal Me's reason for being is as a movement against intolerance. We'll go back in time and talk about what, in retrospect, proved to be what one might call a crucible of exclusion that the 69 UWF football team went through together, which fallout affects Harvey me and many of our teammates lives and at least one of our coaches to this day key to this is the color of our skins mine is white harvey's is black so as we begin harvey where are you speaking to us from how are you feeling tell us a little about your life these days during covid wow um <laughs> let, let's start heavy with that last, keep going dude
2: let's start with that last one first and if i know uh, if I know what's going on in my life, uh, having to distance and at least try to be as responsible as possible with this COVID, I'm doing basically what everyone else is doing. <laughs> and that's laying low in my, uh, in my home. I'm in Denver, Colorado, where, uh, I have a home with my partner. Uh, and, um, this is where I've been since, uh, since they, um, cut our, our tour short. In uh, Seattle, we were uh, touring um, an August Wilson play, which you had aforementioned, um, uh, a play called *Jitney*. and we were in Seattle at Seattle Rep. And uh, yes, we had been there for, I think, two weeks. The, uh, we were percolating. The <laughs> show was really, really picking up, and I was having fun revisiting the area that I, uh, that I had been so fond of and played football in. And, uh, they told us, okay, one day we were performing and the next day said, we have to, uh, we have to
0: cancel. Yeah. COVID, COVID has affected us all.
2: Yes, it has. So we're all doing the same thing and it's, it's, uh, it's trying, but, but if you can keep yourself busy, you can find some things that you, uh, that you had dreamt of doing or, um, or work out or, uh do some artwork, get some crayons, become an artist. There you go. <laughs> just just try to go. make yourself busy. So keep, that's keep what living. I've been doing.
0: Yeah. Like, I, like I said before, uh, as an old lineman, keep your legs driving. <laughs> See, there you go. You know you
2: know that, that very well because you were one of the best at, at doing that. So.
0: Well, let's go back. Let's go back. Uh, Havard Blanks. Am I pronouncing that right, your given name?
2: It is actually Havard. H-A-Z-A-R-D, H-A-R-D.
0: Havard Blanks. I've been saying it wrong all these years, I apologize.
2: Well, uh, hey, man, bet uh, the bane of my existence with, uh, <laughs> with, with my name. <laughs> uh,
0: and by the way, folks, Harvey is spelled without an E. That's okay. right. Okay. Havard Blanks, your given yeah. name, was yeah. raised in a close-knit neighborhood of nuclear families in southwest Chicago. West Westside. South, The west side of Chicago. The west side of Chicago, that's yeah. right. Correct me when I make mistakes here. That's all right, man. We're no, in together. In yeah. the late 30s, the Stuarts, your mother's clan, cheered mm-hmm. as, as they crossed out of Alabama. More mm-hmm. than a dozen family members in the back of a flatbed truck that's right. with granddaddy driving. <laughs> yes, sir. Real non- fast. <laughs> non-stop to a Chicago <laughs> area church offering temporary sanctuary. Yes. Yeah. Your dad's family came north around the same time out of Mississippi. Out of Mississippi. Dad, dad's job was driving a bus, and then for years, a fuel oil truck delivering throughout the city. And mom raised the family and also was a hairdresser doing customers' hair in the house, often to the sounds of Aretha Franklin on the stereo. Sounds like good times. <laughs> we had a ball. I'll bet. I'll bet. Tell us about your family, the early days before high school.
2: I beg your pardon, i didn't catch that.
0: Oh, please tell us about your family in the early days before high school.
2: Oh well, we were uh, we were struggling, you know. People say we uh, would classify that as being poor. You know, uh, Bruce. One of the things that I realized is that uh, in our neighborhood on the west side of Chicago, there were a lot of so-called poor people, but we we didn't. Um, I know from my house, speak for myself. I I didn't. I didn't feel poor, and uh, we we went without in many uh, cases, but we were able to to uh, to get past that and to live our lives. And uh, I think you and I had a conversation the other day. We had uh, families of uh, fathers and mothers when I grew up. Right, uh, there was this uh, statistic that one even to the. today hears about it, where the fathers were absent, well, that's not true. There were most, I will say most families that I grew up with and around in Chicago, Illinois, had a mother and a father.
0: Nuclear families. Absolutely.
2: And and, uh, everybody worked and uh, we did what we had to do to get by. And uh, so prior to going to high school, we lived in a third floor flat uh on the west side of chicago i'll never forget it colon avenue and that's where uh we went to school and we uh socialized with uh i said to you earlier the uh in the week that there was so many children in our neighborhood there was right. there was no dearth of uh you know friends or or people sometimes we would just hang out in a group and talk and and you know, uh, wistfully think about our futures, and and that's that sort of thing. So you know, I had a great time, man. And they called our place uh, the, where we live the ghetto. You know, the people that uh, the intellectuals that uh, name things, right? And but uh, oh, um, at that time, it, we it it was called the slums, but notwithstanding the titles uh, the the aphorism whatever they want to call it we we embraced each other we we loved each other we had we had fun uh and you know there were some trying times but when one asked um uh, uh, as i got older uh, what a ch- what my childhood was like I, I have to say i had a happy
0: childhood you called Not at home the other day in in yes, very warmly that's yes,
2: home. I, I didn't come out of out of there scarred or resentful or anything like that. So it was home. Yeah.
0: So so you became a neighborhood football star. You told me. I mean, obviously.
2: Well, yeah. You know, high- citywide, I was a I was an all-American, uh, all-city, all-state, that sort of thing.
0: Right, and that was at uh, Admiral Admiral Farragut High School, along with your teammate Mac Heron, who later played uh-huh. at Kansas State in the NFL. You you guys were tight. It sounds like.
2: Oh man, we used to sleep in the same bed, bought our, uh, our track meets and stuff where we, uh, where we competed, uh, and, um as, as, as little kids, I'm saying nine and 10 years old, we would go out on these road trips and uh, one of the most exciting thing about it was uh, buying uh, pajamas. <laughs> so we would go shopping for the pajamas together and whatnot slept in the same bed sometimes wow. and spent the night and that sort of thing so we grew up like brothers uh and yeah. and many of us did we had the sleepovers and that sort of thing
0: yeah well and in, in it while well, in high school you're an all-american high school football player known no doubt you had high school letter jackets etc and but there was a a, a dabble, a brief snippet of theater, at least a non-serious drama tryout at Farragut, right?
2: Well, you know the the that was a pretty popular the drama club because of the pretty girls, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and the music and um and uh, the, uh, the sort of show business aspects of uh, of our uh, choir, and um, we we were. Um, our orchestra and that sort of thing, but our drama department was uh the most uh uh famous uh thing going on campus uh on on our high school campus so right. I would go back and forth and I would look in and uh and occasionally I would go in and dabble you know and right. one day they asked right. me to come up uh and uh um, read from a script they were short one person. And I did, and I used uh, like an English accent, and they were like, "Oh, wow! You know, we didn't know <laughs> you. We didn't know you could do this." And,
0: Where'd but, that come from?
2: Yes, but what what happened was, I I couldn't I couldn't uh, actually be a part of it as as much as I wanted to because uh, I was always doing. Uh, my athletic thing, you know, it went, one right. thing led into a bled into another football, basketball, baseball, track, and, uh, you know, and I let it in, in all of them. And, uh, and so I was constantly busy being physical and, uh, doing physical work and, uh, right. Right. never could at some get, point, get into the arts.
0: At, at uh-huh. some point there, you, you made the choice to accept a football scholarship at Washington, the University of Washington. After visiting campus in January of 1966, why Washington?
2: Well, I tell you, we had uh, been going out. Uh, on the, you had mentioned the number of schools that you uh, you received offers from, and we were basically the same way. So we had been going to schools uh, together, visiting schools. We, as in myself and Mac, and two or three others that schools were interested in bringing us in as a group. Uh, and, um, so we had gone out and visited schools and, uh, it was a very exciting period for me. Uh, and one day, uh, I found myself on a, uh, on a runway, the, probably one of the last planes that could get out of O'Hara, uh, airport at that time because of snow, we were being snowed in. Uh, and so we were fortunate enough to, uh, take off, uh, and, uh, head to the Northwest where uh Mac uh Heron my my friend uh didn't accompany me uh on this uh trip because I I think even at that time he had decided he was he was going to go and play at Kansas State. Well, I just wanted to as a as a curiosity, I just wanted to go out and see uh, uh see what this University of Washington was all about. Uh and and as we were uh in the air, flying i think i had been taking a nap or something i woke up i opened my eyes and i looked to my to to my right i was sitting on the right side of the plane and i saw these mountains and this (laughs) this greenery and this glorious sun and i i i I kind of i was kind of shocked at, at first i had never seen anything so beautiful in my life then i looked to the left same thing uh, uh, just totally surrounded by mountains. And I could not believe it, man. It was, it was (laughs) unbelievable. And, and, uh, the rest is history. I mean, it was the nature of the, the environment, the the beauty, uh, that I had never, I had never seen anything like it. So
0: a little different in the hood.
2: Yes. Yes. Or the area. Or uh, the the flatness of the uh, the Midwest, right, the right,
0: prosaicness
2: right. of uh, just the corn and wheat being grown, and,
0: Lake Michigan shoreline.
2: Yes, yes, uh, but um, which is beautiful, I can. But this was right. this was something else again. Right. Right. So it, the it, school it, itself uh, was, uh you know, is University of Washington. It's one of the most beautiful campuses in in, uh, in the country as well. So no, they had me. By the time we landed, I was ready to go.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> well, in, in my days at the NFL, we had at one point two guys that had run win-dated date, win 9-3 and 9-400s and another team member who at that time actually held the world record as a member of the USC 4 by 100 relay team. But until you joined us at the UW, we never had an athlete that explosive. You were hand timed, as I remember, at four three in the forty by the Washington track coach and a couple of football assistants, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, how they uh, yeah, how they react to that when when you blew blew everybody away and ran a four three?
2: Well, uh, they didn't actually. They uh, no big deal. It huh? was it was no it was certainly no big deal to me because as I uh, as I as I heard what the time, I said, man, I, I bet you I could run a four two. So. <laughs> <laughs> so uh uh I didn't um uh, you know, after that that was the, the final uh sprint of the day. But um but no, it was it, they just kinda looked and said, Okay, four three nope. and someone said something like that. Uh but in terms of reacting uh in, in a very physical or frenetic way or not. It was it was just taken uh as part of the deal. Okay great great work out let's
0: go i i bring it up because uh i i and others uh noticed what we what we had who just joined the team and in my observation we didn't have anybody that could uh could run like that that could uh, run a, a pass pattern like you could et cetera. and 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 that'll really uh, come up later as as we go on You'd spent a prior year, uh, once you got out there, uh, at, at a local community college and then at the UW, the athletic department helped you find a tutor with whom you're still very close to this day, yes?
2: Absolutely. Barry Marr. Doc, oh, I should say Dr. Barry Marr. Uh, Dr. Barry uh, who's, Yes, who was one of his, uh, students. Uh, what do uh, he was a student, uh, uh well he helped the professors what what do you call those guys um, tutor uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yes yes he certainly nope. was my tutor but there was uh yeah, he was he was your but he's he's your close friend today yes. you know we had lunch with him um uh, recently yes he uh he helped me along
2: and and uh, when I got kicked off the team um out there at Washington he uh, uh the the day I got kicked off. The next day, he quit. He quit the program because he was working his way through uh, uh, doing his, his uh, graduate work there as well. And uh, right. he knew- go ahead, Bruce. He, he, he was
0: he was he was affected by that tumult. We're going to talk about that here as as we go along.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, you- sorely. he was really he was
0: ticked off about it. Yes, yeah. right. Y- y- you mentioned. Uh, I just want to go over this. You mentioned uh, an exceptional paper of yours that a favorite professor for a lot of us at the time uh, in Far Eastern History, Dr. Yvonne Spector, had posted on his campus hallway bulletin board. Yeah, Tell us about that.
2: Well, uh, I I start out by saying that I was uh, uh, um, trying to get uh, used to the uh, academic experience on campus Uh, and, uh, part of that was the fact that oftentimes, uh, uh, it was, uh, I was being instructed on, as to how to, uh, uh, conform to how to write a paper, basically, uh, which, which I've (laughs) learned in my experiences how to do. But my first, uh, my first, uh, paper, uh, in, um, mid-eastern history was, um, uh, uh, I got a an F and my dear friend Barry <laughs> Marr was the one that gave it to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as things went on and as I became, um uh, adaptable, uh, adapted to the uh, environment and the learning experience, I learned how to, uh, to write, to write a paper and grammatically and, uh, uh mechanically. And, um, so, uh, one of, my first uh papers that i did in uh, far eastern history I remember that was the course we took from uh right. the far eastern history um i got an a, uh, a big red a right on my blue book the,
0: how'd that feel
2: it was fabulous it was like wow man i can do this and also um it was, uh, in his, uh, Spectre, Professor Spector's estimation, it was one of the best papers he had said that had ever been written about the, the particular subject uh, matter. And he took the, the blue book and he went out in the hall, uh, uh, and he put it on the, uh, the academic board where he would put papers that were exceptional. So.
0: And, and a little con, just a little context, folks. I was in school at the same time, and I never got any of that at that point in my my career.
2: Well, I mean, we were all doing our thing, <laughs> and, and it was just so happened that 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 was my experience, and and it was exciting. And I, Bruce, I didn't tell you this, but I called my mom and and uh, told her she was very very proud um, because you. because uh, you know her son was going to get a degree, and that she. Uh, that, more than anything else, was what my mom uh, wanted me to do, the, the football yeah. and all of that stuff. And she called it her degree. She said, you just bring my degree home.
0: So. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's going to explain a, a little bit between the lines of what we're g- going to talk about as we go forward here. Mm-hmm. On the football field, after playing sparingly your first year, the first half of the next season, you played increasingly. Yeah. So successfully you were named all conference and but by the end of the season your on field time was was cut. What was your reaction?
2: I I was just I could not uh, understand what was going on. Uh and I couldn't understand why other other ball players were not playing, uh especially other black ball players, and it was like uh uh just it was just stunning to me, but at the same time, I was also kind of envious of what was happening, um in the Big Eight Conference at the time, uh, uh, with, uh, Mac Heron, my friend, who was, uh, becoming, uh, quite the name in the country, scoring, scoring touchdown after touchdown. I think he finished that year with, with 20 touchdowns. Right. So, uh, knowing that he and I basically had the same kind of, uh, talents and whatnot. Uh, I could not understand. First of all, I just couldn't understand why I didn't get the ball as much. Uh, and I, um, was kind of ticked off because they didn't throw me the ball. I could run patterns. I used to love to catch the ball and I could do it. And what, what I thought made me such a dangerous ball player was the fact that after I caught it, I could run with it. And I just I just couldn't right. figure it out.
0: You were a weapon out of the backfield catching passes, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I was there. I was on the field, uh, and I was blocking for you. Right. So in 16, 69, after opening with six or seven straight losses uh, amid campus unrest fueled by the Vietnam War and radical social change, the mood on the Husky football team changed. Why was that?
2: Well, by that time, we had uh, gone through uh, just the, the whole uh, uh, kind of uh, metamorphosis, if I could say so, because uh, as you just laid out, there was uh, unrest everywhere based on uh, uh, the war, uh, the political aspects of it, and the civil aspects of it, the fact that we had a hard time being ourselves the black athletes on that team. There were things that were being said to us. I don't have to go through thing, uh, through through mm-hmm. that um, experience, but specifically, but uh, it was not a comfortable place to be if you were a black athlete. Uh, there right. was problems with our hair. We they didn't want us to wear uh, mustaches, uh, and we were, you know, that was the era of hair, the, the great uh, right. production. And uh, we were all sort of uh, the hair was getting longer, and in the black yeah. athletes, we were growing naturals and this sort of thing. So right. from that point uh, to other things that I I can't speak, I can't speak about specifically, but uh, uh, because of time restraints and that sort of thing. Right. But right. Well, uh, you, we were having a you, we weren't having a good time uh, as, as uh, uh, student athletes on uh, Washington's team.
0: You, along with three other African-American football players, were suspended, which became front-page news throughout the country the next day. And the team's remaining black players were not allowed to fly to L.A. to play UCLA, where we white teammates got shellacked by about 40 points. What happened that day of practice?
2: Well, we... Well, I think you're referring to when Jim Owens decided that he wanted to uh, to talk to each individual out on the field and uh, right. extract from us, uh, at least as as to my experience uh, with what happened, extract from us a loyalty oath.
0: And right, and everybody, everybody hearing, listening, should know that that was not just the black players; it was the white players as correct. well.
2: Correct. Everyone had to go and. Uh, before the coach who, uh, perched himself, uh, out onto, on the field and each, he called us over, uh, individually and, uh, he questioned us. I found out later that he asked different questions of different people, but, uh, in talking to you, uh, the other day, uh, you and I got the same question. So.
0: That's right. We, we, it became called the loyalty. Yes.
2: Yes. It was a loyalty oath. Are you? Uh, he asked me if I was going to be loyal to the team and to him.
0: 110%, 110%
2: commitment the is the way he put it. And I said, of course, uh, whenever uh, I'm out on the field, I will give my best to my team, my teammates, uh, to the university, that sort of thing. But 110% commitment to you, I c- I can't give you, I can't give you, a uh, 110% commitment but you know uh, the way i took it it was like uh i don't have to like you and you don't have to like me just play me and let me do my thing so it was a it was an absurd question as far as i was concerned and the rest is history i you know i right. i told him i couldn't give him 110% but i certainly uh uh Wanted to play, and I, I like my teammates and that sort of thing. And I and I came there to play football, so
0: that's what I would do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and for the sake of time, uh, we're going to come back to this moment, uh, but let's move forward with your life. Yes. Yeah. Your playing days are over, mm-hmm. as you said. Your athletic scholarship was rescinded after spring quarter, nineteen seventy. On academic upper campus, however, you're excelling in drama Mm -hmm. such that you were awarded an academic scholarship and entered the Bachelor of Fine Arts, essentially an honors program, in my words, substantially located in England, equivalent to, as you said, the Juilliard School of Music in New York. So tell us about that program and your academic experience up until your UW graduation.
2: Well, it uh, it was... a a uh, a program that uh, was basically uh, uh, discovered uh, grew out of uh, the head uh, of uh, uh, Duncan Ross who was one of the fine actors and uh, directors out of England and uh, developed the program and uh, on uh, Washington's campus. all of our classes were off campus basically we had our own structure um, our our uh, um, our own facilities and that sort of thing. So it was a program that uh, the um, the kids uh, in the program were handpicked, and they came from all over the, the country, from uh, coast to coast and anywhere in between. And we would spend hours upon hours um, studying studying drama, and that that's what the, the fine arts part of it was. We we were basically professionals that weren't um, being paid. <laughs> so uh, cause of our whole life was just spent on learning the craft so right. so i was um i had went, gone to england and shortly after england um uh, studying there uh i had uh i become part of the bfa program um but uh shortly after coming back i was um uh, i still had that football thing but in my in my blood but I was also very bitter from being kicked right. off the team, uh, and I could not concentrate. I was not, I was not into doing um, what I was doing, and I quit.
0: But that was the BFA program. Yes. Eventually, in 1973, as I recall, you did graduate with a B with a BA from the University of Washington.
2: Correct. Right? I, my mama was on me, man. She was like, <laughs> she said, <laughs> "Thank I goodness, all right." I didn't send you out there to, to, to you know, uh, come back here with nothing. You bring me that degree. That's my degree. Finish up, son. And so, um, okay. so I did. Uh, fortunately, okay. in your late, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, in your late twenties, you were a major force in developing the Paul Robeson Theater, performing successfully with productions. Receiving critical acclaim at the Langston Hughes Center in Seattle, were those good days? Those
2: were wonderful days because uh, the the training that I have gotten before quitting at uh, uh, at Washington, I had learned so much, and I, if, if I have any regrets, it's um it's not finishing that program. Some of some of my mm-hmm. some of my best days were spent on that program, and uh, it, it developed me into. And to the artist that I, uh, that I, that I had, be, that I would become, uh, right. leaning on a lot of the stuff that I learned there. And, uh, yes. so, uh, I used that to, uh, to basically, uh, develop our own theater company. It became a great theater company. Uh, we did a lot of musical, uh, original musical theater there and it was successful.
0: It's 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 still uh, going at, at, at this time? No,
2: no, it uh, it ended uh, sometime. I I think in the eighties and the eighties gotcha. nineties.
0: Yeah. Well, at twenty nine, you left Seattle for Chicago, and had a brief tryout with the now defunct World Football League Chicago Fire. Mm-hmm. While you while you st- still, ran a four four forty at that age. You were cut. You told me at some point you realized you were, quote, chasing a goal everyone else set for me. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, you know how it is, Bruce. I mean, you were a fabulous athlete yourself. So, uh, and that's the way I came up. I came up wanting to be this, uh, and became uh, this person that was revered because of uh, my physical attributes. I can do things that other people couldn't do. I was used to being acclaimed as uh, uh uh a uh standout athlete and that that sort of thing and it gets to your head uh it, it, you become conceited uh, you can because it's it it's very it's a lofty kind of a a feeling that you gain uh being harvey blank right. and little did i know that the other experiences that i was that I was evolving uh, into, and uh, and the person that I was becoming as I grew older had very very little uh, desire to be that Harvey Blank, that that athlete. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to do it for because everybody else wanted to see Harvey Blank's runner or perform uh, on 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 whatever athletic uh field I was uh I was participating in so right
0: so well in Chicago- go ahead yeah so it was
2: it it didn't dawn on me till later I was on the field practice field and I was looking up and the plane was was flying by and I
0: saw that plane
2: and I wanted to be on that plane <laughs> and,
0: yeah, you were actually, as I recall, you were trying out for the Broncos. At yeah, the was in California to a out.
2: Correct, correct. After all the tumult had uh, come to pass, and I finally got an opportunity
0: through Jim Owens, actually, to uh, and, and 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 you had a try out, and you looked up at the plane, and you knew you needed to be elsewhere.
2: Yeah, right? I wanted to be on that plane, man. <laughs> <laughs> i said i want to go and i knew it at that
0: point. On a jet plane. <laughs> good memory uh so in chicago back to chicago at 30 if i recall correctly you're now making a living acting uh-huh. at the well-known goodman theater when you were spotted by two recruiters on a nationwide search for a musical role in denver then what
2: i got the role uh after uh a lot of uh going and coming i mean they went it was a national tour and so uh they came in they auditioned me at, uh, and a month and a half or so later they came back to the city uh where i at that point i was doing uh, uh, uh a very roof revolutionary version of hamlet at the city and they the Goodman, called me said they're back here again so uh can you come down and audition which i did and then they told me the next day that I had the role, and they wanted to bring me out to uh,
0: to Denver. Right. You be, you became an actor in residence. Yes. At the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, correct. One of three such resident performing arts programs in the country. That's correct. So it's a big, big deal. It was a big deal with roles that with roles and in, in in a in a part in that. Performing Arts Center that that you had for twenty three years. Yes. It, you know, what what era of your life did that did that whole session span?
2: Uh, I when you when you're talking chron- uh, chronologically, it's hard for me to piece things together. Uh-huh. Even uh, uh, in speaking with you, you you are more capable of, of uh, basically uh, sussing it out but i think right,
0: that right well, I'm, I'm i'm thinking you we're talking uh mid mid 30s to to yes, 60 yeah, really almost yes uh, but you're doing other things cuz in the off season uh-huh. the summer months you, you went to new york and, and began acting off broadway right right i
2: right. became uh, right. Uh, uh uh and i was i did that purposely because i knew once once the uh uh the leader of uh, an artistic uh, director of Denver uh Center Theater um resigned uh as with most theaters uh when they bring in a new regime or whatever uh um, oftentimes the actors uh, that were there uh, um, uh are asked to leave and so i knew at some point that would happen to me and it was it was a uh, it was a point in time where I began to think forward uh, in my right. life. So, so I right. every time I had an opportunity to uh, to leave, uh, or oh, oh, I wasn't on contract, I would leave the city and go elsewhere. Uh, we
0: we yes. in finance, we in finance, Harvey would call that diversifying. Okay. V- very wise thing to do. Absolutely, I
2: diversified.
0: <laughs> uh, you diversified. Yeah, it, 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 but 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 while you were going in and out of New York City uh in, during that 23 year year period on and off yeah. uh it was there you were recruited uh and and you're working as an actor at the time yeah. uh, uh but you're recruited by Cornell University School of Drama to attain a masters degree right. and, and 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 you did that in Ithaca, Ithaca New York yeah. where where Cornell campus is located right. you attended classes you taught drama and acted right. Uh, and, and you were offered a, a, as you told me and declined to do another 2 years for a PhD right. uh, you told me the academic rigor stretched you it was it was good for me you said how so Well,
2: uh again uh the nature of the education and when when the, when you do talk about places like uh, Harvard uh uh Princeton Cornell Brown whatever uh there there is more than just a name. I mean, they, you get in there, man, and you have to study. And, uh, they do, do because of the uh, other activities that I, I took a part in on campus, um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to, uh, uh, I had to study, uh, as well. Uh, but they designed a program for me, uh, uh whereby I was part of a uh, committee and there were uh, there were professors these uh uh designated uh to work with me uh, basically like a tutor and so sure. i i would go and sit in uh my classes were one up one on one and uh, uh they were i would be given a curriculum uh, uh whereby i had to uh read a number of books Uh, and write a number of papers, um, in order to meet that curriculum. Um,
0: and did your acting, did your acting change during that period of time or because of it?
2: Uh, actually, uh, my knowledge of acting, uh, not just from a practical, but a theoretical aspect, uh, the way I approached it and uh, encompassing, uh, the, the entire historical, uh, significance, the writers, the directors, the, what was happening, uh, socioeconomically, uh, all of that, the knowledge that I got out of that, that kind of, uh, teaching, uh, made me a better actor because right. I was able to lend myself to what was happening in the world and wow. what made this person and what made this particular uh of these particular people uh act and react and do certain things so uh my experience as an actor became uh more uh profound because it became more prodigious i was able to relate a lot more to my environment the ac- uh, the uh, architecture within my own uh, mental skies uh and so it was uh yes i would say i became a better actor because i became a, a more fuller person hey got yeah. it
0: got it. great experience so, so so really this uh master's degree at at cornell happened during this 23 year period when you were still in residence in, in denver correct right and so um I'm going to just approximate that uh, sometime uh, as you're approaching 60 or around that point, uh, that's when uh, you, you leave the Denver program and you, you're you're spending time mostly in, in New York City, although I think you maintain a home in, in Denver, right? Yes.
2: Uh, and,
0: yeah. and you told me your New York City digs are on the – uh 139th and Riverside that's,
2: Upper West Side correct Way to like that. yeah that's okay that's right uh yeah so you know it, it was one of those uh, you, going back to that term you guys use in economics diversify it it <laughs> uh, by that time I had sort of I had a, a community of people that I would work with in uh, in New York and uh, so that when that uh, that inevitable date uh, came when, uh, when, uh, the artistic director decided that he was moving on with his, uh, with life. In fact, actually he was retiring. He right. retired. And what was to me, the uh, the inevitability of some uh, of the changing of the guards occurred and actors, uh, were asked to leave and whatnot. Uh, however, I was a- asked to stay, uh, um but I basically wanna I I well I tell you what, after working under uh uh Donovan Marley, uh it it's hard to really uh, explain what a great experience that was and I just could not uh uh,
0: see myself staying,
2: and I didn't want to stay because I had uh, sure. other other kinds of things I was working on, right. well, that kind of thing.
0: Like I, well, by now you're work, you're doing Broadway as well as off Broadway. Oh, yeah. so, uh-huh. so, so you're growing out really of 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 the Denver program, and so so how in your sixties did you get into the exclusive club of actors you call the August Wilson Warriors?
2: Well at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts because it was a repertory theater company. Uh you could find yourself going from Shakespeare, a Moliere to uh uh to the classics uh Tennessee Williams, American classic Tennessee Williams and, and uh uh doing contemporary stuff and uh it was very eclectic so that um as, as during that period, August Wilson came on the scene, uh, one of the most powerful, he's basically called the Shakespeare of drama, American drama, uh, and we had a wonderful director named, uh, the late Israel Hicks, who was not only an associate of, uh, of August Wilson's, uh, of, but he was a, uh, a an associate artistic director they had made him an associate artistic director right. at the university of Washington. And he, and, a, and you took, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no,
0: please. You told me, you told me this, Mrs. Wilson ha- had a hand in your selection.
2: Well, well sure. Uh, it's, it's in terms of, uh, becoming a warrior, uh, <laughs> because, uh, August Wilson a warrior. Uh, because, you know, she has a hand in, um, in selecting, uh, uh, or poo-pooing, uh, those who, uh, uh those people who she didn't, wa- does not want to work in his, uh, in his, uh, image or on stage or doing, uh, the work, uh, that she considers to be, uh, uh, an August Wilson kind of quality, uh, and, so i I'm one of those persons that she uh, she said yay to and I uh, you, you, appreciate
0: that you made the team I made the, you made the uh, team in a very important team in 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 nationwide in in, in American drama absolutely
2: but but let me I, I, I want to finish on Israel Hicks because he was also very uh, important to uh, uh, to that experience uh Israel. Uh, directed me, in uh, who is also uh, associated, of course, with uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Constanza Romero, which is uh, August Wilson's uh, wife, widow now. Uh, but he directed me in eight of August Wilson's pieces. Uh, so, I had the opportunity of being a member of the company and working on for eight years, August Wilson at the Denver Center performing arts under uh, the tutelage of Israel Hicks. So, right. wow. and many of those...
0: What, what an achievement. What an achievement. For the sake of time, uh, let, let's go back now. Um, uh, Harvey, as a white player, I saw the racism in the UW football program when we played. 40 plus years after head coach Jim Owens acknowledged as much and apologized to a homecoming crowd a few years before he died. Another quote from you about that day of player suspensions and your time before and after is, quote, this is what you said to me. Everyone runs into obstacles, but you have to keep your dignity. Those coaches tried to take your dignity. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I think think it was a very – I said it uh based on the re- reductivity of the uh, of the of our experiences out there, white and black. And I saw a lot of uh, white players who were uh, not treated with dignity, man. And I, I think right. at the time uh we were we were kids, man. We were kids. And I look at it in retrospect and I say, well, wait, oh, wait a minute. How can these grown ass men, excuse my term, <laughs> treat children like that? And we were, we were 18, 19 years old. Right. You know, come on. Uh, right. but, but it was, it was just the nature of, of, and I don't know, I guess, uh, uh, many, many other programs, uh, were high powered programs like we were playing with, uh, under, uh, I guess you get that sort of thing that happens when uh, when winning becomes uh, everything.
0: Right? Right. Well, it seems to me, and you tell me what you think, that intolerance at its core is a method of attacking a person's dignity, of uh, attempting to erode one's one's self-respect and and when it comes down to it, for you or for any of us, the choice of how to react to intolerance is binary. Ironically, it's black or white. You can allow the attack on your dignity to diminish you or not. Did you see it that way at the time?
2: I always saw it that way, man. It was like uh, I, my mom and my dad uh, told me, you can go anywhere you want to go, uh, do experience anything you want to experience, but never, ever lose your dignity that's the way we were socialized not just myself my brothers sister, uh, people around that was important to us man dignity so right. when I came out of Chicago I feared no man uh, no man or, no, uh, or woman either uh, right. so that I, I think that that proposition lent itself to the fact that I saw everyone as a human being uh, and I anticipated that I, that would be reciprocal. Right. I was also well, naive. naive. There's certain guys you can't just uh, grab and hug and, <laughs> and right. embrace right. and, uh, right. you know, that sort of thing because, uh, yeah, there's
0: a separate. You tried with Jim Owens, you know, but it didn't work. Didn't work.
2: I mean, it was like, didn't work. Uh, he, you know, he was like God. He walked across, uh, Lake Washington to work.
0: That's what we said. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. so in in retrospect, the the attack of intolerance by our coaches on you and, and the other black player players was an attack on on as you said on on all of us players, black, white, yes, purple, that's I called, I our, our school colors at some level. That that day in '69, in a very real way, changed changed your life it, for it, the better. It appears
2: to me. It was a well I, I went through hell because. Eventually. Yeah,
0: I've I, I Much better, really. I
2: came no, out on anything. the other side a better, better person. But the, the road, the journey that I took to get there was a lot of pain and a lot of, I wasn't, I was not necessarily a, a very good guy after, you know, that thing. I, I became a different person, man. I, I, uh, I went into that valley of drugs and deceit and uh just not being a good person at all i did some things to hurt people and uh you know that was those are regrets that i have based on the fact that i was also um uh trying to reach a certain level in my life and when it was taken from me and i i thought taken from me uh by people unfairly Uh, unfairly certainly but by people who I, I came to, uh, to really hate. And I use that word and, and, and but I'm being truthful. And sure. that hate ate at me to such a degree that I couldn't be human. And, and so I went through a part of life where I resented even those people who were reaching out to try and help me.
0: Right, and, and and as as we chronicled your life, I'd put that period between the the time that you uh, left the team until really you got into the Paul Robeson Theater and and really uh, you were going another direction in a very productive way. Yes,
2: but even even still, it was t- that the wound was still open. It was very it was very fresh. I was not a good person. I was not sure. Uh, the people around me, I, 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 should have been more careful with my life. Uh, but I was blind, you know, and I tell people sometimes, I, like, uh, I was clinical, but I, I, I didn't, uh, I needed help. Um, I didn't reach out to, uh, to access it. Uh, but because of that one thing that happened that day on the field, it the it was the trajectory was one in which uh, I just went through things that I I um, regret as a human right. being, but, just
0: as a human being, man. I just uh, but, but but as I say, as I say, it, it, you came out of that valley that you described, and, and uh, it affects all of us. I, I think that we're part of it to this day, and and you were you were in the middle. And and it's it's totally understandable.
2: Well, th- thank you for that. I it, it's it's hard for me to to uh, embrace that, uh, but I I do know that some of the people, my dearest friends, and I I can I can count them on one hand, really. But they came out of that era of my life. They hung around. Uh hung in there. They embraced me, they saw the change oftentimes and they commented on it. Right. Right. Uh but they're still there.
0: Yeah. As you've said to me, you come from a family of storytellers. I, I want to share a story with our listeners. In in two thousand nineteen, recently, our college age son, Cindy's and mine, and and I were being dragged by his mother to a play called Familiar at the Bagley Wright Theater in the Seattle Center on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. There was the un- the usual griping and questioning as we took our seats. Why the hell are we here, honey? Blah, 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 blah. I opened the playbill, the program as we football jocks used to call it. And the first item I came to w- was the credentials of the male lead in what turned out to be a delightful comedy. About a uh, the family dynamics of a biracial couple about to get married. The actor with starring credits on Broadway, the London stage, TV guest appearances, and and with a host of major American touring productions listed was that guy that got off the train in in Seattle in 1966, Harvey Blanks. I, I got him a message backstage, and eventually we hooked up, and voila, just like that. We're all on the same team again. Pretty fun, huh, Harvey? Man, and, and
2: I keep I I, I hark back to that young kid, 18, 19-year-old, uh, tall, lanky, agile <laughs> uh, uh, white guy, oh, Slower foot, but quick, uh, well, quick. I, I, but you were quick and you were mean. <laughs> uh and, and and that that sort of like uh was it was fun to watch because he was such a delightful guy off the field it was it, you had those two faces but uh, uh and you were going through your uh your histrionics as well with uh trying to uh become eligible right. for uh to play football there so they had thrown you a, a curveball and you had to fight for the right to uh, become a student athlete at the University of
0: Washington yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Well, that's a story for another day. We're, we've got to wrap yeah. it up, my friend. We're coming up on an hour here. Thank you, my friend, yeah. for sharing your time and, and your story with us today and, and for just coming back into my life. Man, I
2: love you, Bruce. Uh, and, you know, wonderful wife, Cindy. I appreciate the opportunity to to talk about these experiences because I, I, I don't do it, uh, you know. I don't. It's not forthcoming with everyone. so
0: Yeah, we're, we're lucky. So thank you. So I, I, I want to thank you, thank you and, and, and your partner, Lara. And, and I want to thank you podcasters for listening to us today, to our You Equals Me podcast. And we'll sign off uh, with a very meaningful time. Again, thank you, Harvey.
2: Thank you so much.
1: We hope you've enjoyed our broadcast today. If you have, please share with family and friends. For those who wish to support the U Equals Me Foundation, your tax-deductible purchases of U Equals Me logo wear can be found at uequalsme.org or our uEqualsme Me Etsy store, which is all one word in your Google search. For a complimentary copy of our ebook, Wisdom Along the Way. A book of notes and quotes, you can join our One Worlders group email list at uequalsme.org. Links will be in the show notes. Thank you. Much love around the world. Be safe. Be kind. Be you.